Chapter 50. If a cat wants a fish, it has to get its paws wet. Isaiah. I'm dropped on a metal surface of some sort. I peek out of my bag. I'm inside Mr. Brophy's janitor closet. I can see his rolling bucket and his jugs and canisters of cleaning chemicals. Mr. Brophy, says a familiar voice outside the closet. Might I see you for a moment? Sure, Dr. Ledbetter, says Mr. Brophy. Right away, sir. I hear Mr. Brophy's shoes squeak and his key ring jingle as he leaves. I crawl out of the lunch bag, drop down to the floor, and lean around the door jam to spy on Mr. Brophy and the long coat named Dr. Ledbetter. Please be advised, Mr. Brophy, that we are at a heightened state of alert and have activated alarms on all the windows and doors, including the one behind me, the one I am told you like to prop open when you mop this floor. It's for the mice, said Mr. Brophy. I figured the fresh air might do them good. Be that as it may, the door and all others in this facility are to remain locked and tight until shift change at three. Uh-oh. If Mr. Brophy doesn't prop open the back door, how is my 5,000 mice army going to storm into the building? Will I have to free my family all by myself? And even if I can manage to do that, how are all 97 of us going to escape if every door or window we try to prop open will trigger an alarm? No problem, Professor, Mr. Brophy tells Dr. Ledbetter. But if you don't mind me asking, why all the fuss? The security guard at the main gate just advised me that he encountered an animal rights activist attempting to gain access to this facility. That girl on the bicycle? We suspect she is a spy. Do not, under any circumstances, open this door. No, sir, Professor. Mr. Brophy tugs on a key with a sort of squarish black plastic head. The key and about a dozen others sharing the ring with it are attached to his belt by an extended cable. I watch as he slips the key into the lock and gives it a firm twist. Some rescue mission this turned out to be. I'm trapped, locked inside the horrible place again, and my mouse army has no way of getting inside. I need to find Benji. He'll know what to do. When Mr. Brophy isn't looking, I slip out of the closet and sneak down to the room where they kept me and my entire family locked up in those plastic boxes. But the boxes have all been replaced by rolling racks of metal cages. Benji? I whisper. No answer. Abe? Winnie? Nothing. Maybe they're all napping, exhausted from another round of research experiments. I ladder up the closest rack of prison cells to take a closer look. Oh no, the cages are empty. My family is gone. Chapter 51 Necessity is the mother of invention, but she's not a very nice mommy. I don't know what to do. My family is gone, disappeared. Maybe they're all dead. Or maybe they've all been shipped off to another laminate lab for different kinds of experiments. That article Haley found said there were laminate labs all over the state, all over the country. I need to think. Think, think, think. Okay, the doors to this laminate lab are securely locked. My entire army of 5,000 mice is stranded outside in a rusty pickup truck, and I'm basically a prisoner again. Yipes. Remember that nasty guard dog I told you about? The one whose bark I imitated to startle Lucifer? He's sniffing his way down the row of cages following my scent. He spots me, but he doesn't bark and sound the alarm. He just growls and show me his, shows me his shiny fangs. The Doberman thinks he can scare me back into my cage, even though I really don't have one anymore. I decide to give him a taste of his own medicine, so to speak. I bark just like he would. The guard dog is stunned, confused. I seize my moment and take off. I zip out of the cage room and race down the nearest hall. It will only take the guard dog a few seconds to recover from his shock. I need to find a safe hiding place. Fast. I round a corner up ahead, see a window with a frighteningly familiar glow. It's the blue room, the most horrible place in the whole horrible place. I remember it from my nightmares. 
I also remember that no animal in the lab, including the guard dogs, ever wanted to go anywhere near it, because the blue room is where the long coats would do their dirty work. They jabbed us with needles and clipped electrodes to our heads and tails and anywhere else they wanted, no matter how painful. The door is slightly ajar. I see a sliver of blue light leaking out. I leap through the crack. The guard dog won't want to follow me. He knows what goes beyond this, behind this closed door, and it isn't pretty. Neither is what I see inside the blue room. All my brothers and sisters are squirming and sealed containers stacked against the wall. They're a wiggly rainbow of glowing neon colors because of the ultraviolet light illuminating the room. We'll eject them one at a time, says a short man in a surgical gown. His rubber gloves glow under the black light. Let's start with the red one, says the t tall long coat. Oh no, no, no. It's Abe. The tall long coat taps on a computer board, keyboard. Opening container R258. A small light changes from red to green on the front of Abe's holding bin. The door slides open. Then the other bad man plucks a scared, struggling Abe out of the box by its tail. Chapter 52. Leave no mouse behind. Isaiah. The lab technician clutches Abe in one hand, a syringe in the other. He's going to jab something horrible into my favorite brother. I need to do something stupid and foolish and dangerous. Stop! I shout. Humans can't hear ultrasonic sounds, but I try to make my voice deep enough to be audible, and it works. The two humans stop what they're doing to look around the room. They're trying to figure out who's yelling at them in such a tiny voice and where it's coming from. Let him go, I scream. They look down, see me. It's B-97, said the short long coat, the one who got away. Put the red one back in the box, said his partner. Grab the blue guy. They plop Egg back into his plastic crate, slam it shut. The green light turns red again. Isaiah? The thick walls of his plastic holding pen muffle Abe's ultrasonic voice, but I can hear it even if the humans can't. Isaiah! Welcome home, hollers Winnie in a voice that only mice can hear. I thought you ran away, grunts Benji. I thought you were a coward. You thought wrong, I tell him. And then using my human voice, I scream, You are monsters, as loud as I can. He can speak, says the tall bald man. Wait until Dr. Ledbetter hears about this. The two masked men lunge at me. I dodge away from their grasps. If they think a mouse speaking is awesome, wait until they see what I'm going to do next. When they both miss me a second time, I hop up to that computer keyboard, the one that the tall human was tapping on. I dance across the letters as quickly as I can. Here's what I type. Open all. Every single tiny red light on the plastic holding bins blinks to green. The prison doors pop open. My brothers and sisters hop out of their cages and scramble to the floor. All 96, I did a quick head count, scamper around on the floor. The two lab technicians are trying to corral my mischief, but they forgot just how smart, fast, and clever they made us. Head to the back room, I tell my brothers and sisters. And then what? Asks Benji. I take a deep breath and say the words I've been teaching myself to speak ever since I first heard Michaela sing it. Freedom! I tap dance a few more jig steps on the keyboard. I stomp on the caps lock because this time I am screaming. Open blue room door. The door flies open. My brothers and sisters zip out. The two long coats don't chase after them. They're too busy marveling at me. I distract them a little longer, hoping to give my family a quick, I mean, sorry, a head start to the back door. I keep typing. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. He just used 26 letters of the alphabet in one sentence, says one. I type some more. It's called a pangram, dummies. Trap him, says the other. Uh-oh. What if I'm the only mouse who does get left behind?